You've tried washing it off, rubbing, scraping, scratching, and sanding it off. You've even tried grinding, cutting, and burning it off. But still it remains. It's zombie skin. So foreign to your own eyes, you wonder, are you still fully human? Or have you become the contamination? Whether you're struggling with cold sores, eczema, poison oak, poison ivy, acne, bee stings, bug bites, cuts, scrapes, scuffs, tears, chronic rash, or any of the endless ailments we all wish never happen, the antidote is the truly endless repair. Head over to zombielips.squarespace.com to buy the antidote. Become human again. Get yours today. Hey there! Do you like legends, myths, and whiskey? Or maybe just one of those things? Then you should listen to the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. For more information, head over to legendsmythsandwhiskey.com. Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Society 13. I like to listen. Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Hello and welcome to episode number 712 of the Wicked Library. My name is Daniel Foytek. I am the host and producer for the show. And I just wanted to start off by saying thank you to everyone who has taken the opportunity to go over to Patreon and support the show. We're still a good ways away from even our first goal, believe it or not. So if you listen to the show, if you find it something that you enjoy, if it's fun, if it does something for you, if it makes you happy, makes your day better, terrifies you, scares the hell out of you, any of those things, consider supporting the show on Patreon. You can do it for as little as $2 a month. And on up from there, you get some really cool rewards, including custom bookmarks featuring the librarian, mugs, T-shirts, and so on. If you're unable to support the show in Patreon, I would like to ask you head on over to iTunes, leave a rating and review for the show. Those five-star ratings and reviews help us stay up in the charts, helps other people find the show, and helps us grow much larger. I thought I would share one review with you. We had only one review for February by Gore Kitten. This podcast is by far one of the best story-based podcasts I have found. Not only are the stories spooky, bloody, and amazing, but you can tell how much the powers that be that run it love writing and the art of storytelling. Simply great. You need to check this out. Trust me. And I'm not telling you that are listening to the show that are longtime fans anything. You know all this. What I'm asking for is for you to help share the love so that other people who haven't found the show yet will give it a try. Today's episode is pretty special because we do have two lovely ladies that contributed their voice to the show today. We have Allison Crane of the multi-award winning podcast Uncanny County, who plays the part of Catherine, and Addison Peacock, who, if you blink, you'll miss it, but she was kind enough to do one line for me. She will actually be narrating an entire future episode of the show coming up, Uh, but she is in today's show very, very briefly playing the part of LaHelen. And she did that for me pretty much last minute and saved my bacon because, unfortunately, I missed that there was another female line in there. Again, to Addison, thank you very much. You may know Addison Peacock from the No Sleep podcast. 
She appears on that show, which is also a multi-award winning show and still out there on tour as I put this episode out. I was able to attend their show in New York City. and It was fantastic. I understand that they're on the West Coast right now. So hopefully if the No Sleep podcast came to a city near you, you had an opportunity to attend. It was a lot of fun. And you'll be hearing a couple of the voices that you know from that show appearing on this show in the future, as well as on our sister podcast, The Lift. And now, without further ado, let's get Wicked. The Wicked Library is intended for mature audiences only. So if you're not mature, get out. Get out now while the getting's good. <laughs> Hello, kiddies. Have a seat and relax. I am your librarian. There's nothing to be afraid of, yet. Hold on to yourselves, boils and ghouls. This is going to be a dark ride. We'll leave the lights on for now. No talking. It's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs> Your lease has expired by C. Brian Brown. The moon gleamed. Its light, filtering down through the trees, illuminated the motel parking lot in an intricate silvery display of shadow and light. A brash wind kicked dead leaves across the cold pavement and filled the air with the raspy scratching of a thousand tiny claws. It was for that sound Jefferson Webster was thankful. He moved as fast as he could along the sidewalk, the tapping of his shine tuxedo shoes helping to further mask the noise he created. A muted curse escaped his lips as his heel caught on a crack. He tipped backwards, unsteady, and dropped the body he was dragging. His long face curled up in a scowl at the dry chuckle of his female companion. You could help me carry him. I am still wearing my evening clothes, darling, in case you haven't noticed. Do you know how hard it is to drag a body while wearing a tuxedo? He clipped the ends of his words, his voice gravelly in his irritation. He bent over to grab the body under the arms. You didn't ask for help, the woman responded. Jefferson snarled. Now I have to ask... 200 years ago, and you would have just grabbed the legs. How am I supposed to know you need help if you don't ask? My panting might have been a good indication. He continued to drag the corpse over the rough concrete. It's not my fault you're out of shape. She was a lithe woman, tall, almost five feet ten without her stiletto heels. She wore a skirt of crushed purple velvet, so short it showed the rounded mound of heartbreaking pink panties. Completing her outfit was a white spaghetti-strapped tank top. Her breasts jutted, and the nipples, like red gumdrops, were plainly visible through the fabric. That's from lack of physical exercise with a partner, he told her in an indignant tone. 
Exactly. You've got a stomach and your ass is fat. He bit down in frustration, grinding his upper canines. What room is your friend in, Catherine? 222. He nodded and pulled a little faster, yanked the body down two more doors. He twisted and managed to bang his left foot into the door three times. He waited a moment, out of breath, and was about to kick the door again when it opened the length of the security chain. A frightened face appeared in the crack. It looked female, but backlit by the harsh white rays of cheap fluorescent lighting, he couldn't be sure. It was a young face, framed by tightly braided black hair. He looked at the person expectantly, waiting. Are you going to invite me in? He asked. The head shook, and the beads gave a rattlesnake warning. He opened his mouth, but shut it again when Catherine made a sound of utter exasperation, pushed him aside, and hauled the body up and over her shoulder. For a moment, Jefferson caught a glimpse of bare breast. Then he was looking at her back as she shoved into the motel room. Jefferson stood at the threshold, not entering the room. Now you pick him up? Yep. She responded. Well, be careful with him, would you? Dead men can still bruise, you know. Come on, put him on the bed already. She gave him a harsh look and laid the body down on the queen-sized bed. She took the second pillow and fluffed it with exaggerated care, turned it over, fluffed it again. She raised the dead man's head gingerly, cooing, and with her free hand, slid the pillow into place. She used her fingers to comb the long, blonde hair away from the corpse's face before kissing it gently on the forehead. There. Is that good enough, Jefferson? She sat on the edge of the bed and stared at him. Ask him, he replied dryly. It's his head. Would you have your friend invite me into the room? I'm not going to stand out here all night. Catherine looked over at her friend, who Jefferson could see was a woman, and nodded. As she walked to the door, Jefferson guessed her age at about 25. She was wearing a colored skirt of reds, blues, and greens, with a dirty black poet's blouse. A gypsy, he thought. As she got closer, her eyes, which were the dull, dead shade of blue reserved for drapes, shifted and swirled to a vibrant green. Come in, the girl said. She had a man's voice. Jefferson moved into the room. The bed sat against the west wall, with the desk and television against the east. In the middle of the floor, between the bed and the door, was a round table big enough for two midgets to play a round of poker. Directly across from the door was a huge sink. Next to that was the bathroom. The girl shut and bolted the door behind him, then joined Catherine on the edge of the bed. They both stared at the corpse for a long time, neither of them moving or speaking, just holding hands. He wasn't sure what they were staring at so intently, and he stepped forward to take a closer look. The man looked the same to Jefferson as he had when he had killed him an hour before. A little more pale and sunken, maybe, but that was to be expected in his condition. The corpse was a man named Rick McCaffrey. He was a landscaper with a good build, long, stringy blonde hair, and a wiry Van Dyke beard. 
His milky green eyes stared up at the ceiling and saw nothing. He wore casual clothes, jeans, sneakers, and a long-sleeved pullover shirt to ward off the chill. A spot of drool had dried to a crusty white on his chin. Jefferson had been sitting on the riverboat, watching the dark waves of the Mississippi River crash up against the hall when his cellular phone started ringing, playing out Beethoven's popular bagatelle, the Führer Elisa. The sound always made Jefferson smile fondly. He had spent some time as Beethoven's apprentice. When he had answered the phone, he was surprised to find Catherine on the other end. They had been lovers for a long time, but their relationship had gone dry some 60 years ago. Her voice had brought back memories of times together, but her words had rooted him in the present. She needed his help, which was not uncommon. It seemed one of her buddies in the craft had gotten themselves into a bind and they were in need of a corpse. Could he be such a sweetie and bring them one? And oh, could you please make it a man between the ages of 22 and 25 with blonde hair and blue eyes, good physical condition, no diseases or scars? Sure, he had said. Do you need me to make sure he's circumcised too? Could you please? And so he had found McCaffrey, seduced him out of the riverboat and into his car with the promise of money and women dancing in his head. Once they were settled in their seats, Jefferson had leaned over and drained him straight to death, greedily sucking the life from him. McCaffrey's blood had tasted of gin and nicotine. The combination made Jefferson pull over halfway to his destination and puke on the side of the road. The rest of the drive from downtown St. Louis to the country suburb was uneventful, and Catherine had met him right where she said she would. He had wanted to ask if she was okay, how she had been, where she had been for the past 60 years since she walked out. But she was all business. And now, here he was, watching the two women stare at the man he had taken as his dinner and wondering why he didn't just turn and walk out. You know why, he told himself. You don't want to spend any more time alone, and you refuse to make yourself a companion. That thought was a somber one, and he was suddenly weary. Well, ladies, he urged, get on with it. What are those? The girl with the man's voice asked. She ran a hand over the left side of the corpse's throat. There were two puncture wounds about an inch and a half apart. The flesh around them was swollen, discolored, creating a purple and yellow star on the dead skin. Catherine jerked her head around to stare at Jefferson and snapped. He doesn't have any blood in him? I'm sure he's got some left, Jefferson retorted. Try the big toe on his left foot. And when we send the soul into this body and it starts to die again due to lack of blood in the system to support life, what do you plan on doing? Jefferson's blood rose at Catherine's berating. It flushed his cheeks red. Nor did he like being under the gypsy's scrutinizing gaze. She stared at him, as if sizing him up for a casket. When he responded, it was with anger. His voice took on a dangerous edge. You asked for a dead body. He pointed at the bed with a stiff finger. There is the body. It is quite dead, 
I assure you. The rest is up to you to figure out. If there were specifics beyond the physical, you should have stated them. You didn't tell me he needed to be physiologically intact. She better be circumcised. Catherine muttered and turned back to the gypsy. Okay, Lahalan, get ready. I'm going to start my weave. Catherine began to chant in a slow, meticulous manner, her hands clasped together in front of her. Jefferson recognized the old language of the mages, one he had heard her speak many times before. It was a variation of Latin with more lilted syllables, the pitch changing often. Slowly, she pulled her hands apart, and between them was lightning in a bottle, the crackling energy of her magic. It danced from palm to palm in a blue daze, spindling up her fingers and around the backs of her hands like a neon spider. When she opened her eyes, they were no longer the violet Jefferson was accustomed to seeing, but a blazing blue that put dancing spots on the wall. With a final guttural word, she spread her hands all the way apart and tilted her head back. He watched as a bright blue tendril shot from her mouth and snaked to the ceiling, where it spread like a spider's web to cover the walls. It is done, Catherine said, her eyes dimming but not losing their bluish hue. Lahalen stood and moved toward the wall, speaking in a foreign language that Jefferson assumed was her native gypsy tongue. There were two distinct voices, the male voice that greeted Jefferson at the door and a female one. The two voices were arguing. I can't hold this wee forever, Lahalan. You must push him soon. She stared hard at the ceiling. Jefferson smiled when he saw Catherine's head beaded with sweat from the exertion of holding her magic in place. She never used to sweat. At least he wasn't the only one getting old. The argument from the gypsy grew more vehement, but the female voice soon became dominant. It rose to a crescendo of fury, cold steel flashing in the muggy air. The black hair rose, pulled by an unseen force. The beads smacked into one another. A shimmer of green surrounded the woman as her hands clenched into fists and pounded the walls behind her. The paint cracked and buckled, and the dust that filtered through the green aura was tossed back out as if on a springboard. Her back arched, elbows jutted out angrily, and nostrils flared out wide. Her mouth opened in a scream, but no sound came out. Then, her whole body grew rigid, jerked straight as a plank of wood, arms at her side, fingers pointed to the floor, thumbs tucked inside. Jefferson watched LaHalen's eyes change from blue to green, then back again. For a full minute, the only sound in the room was Catherine's labored breathing as she strained with the power of her magic. Finally, she did scream, and her body jerked once. Her head banged into the wall. Two of the beads fell to the floor and rolled under the bed. LaHalen slumped limply to the side, her body having gone slack from the sudden release of energy. Jefferson saw the faint green shimmer that shot from her body. It raced toward the ceiling and crashed into the blue weave of Catherine's magic, which bent to absorb the shock, but then shot the spirit back into the room where it simply hung in the air, blinking rapidly as if it were angry. 
Come now, Alette, Catherine coaxed. She spoke soothingly to the spirit while she used her free hand to steady Lahalan against the wall. Your new home awaits you. Go before you find yourself in the belly of a demon greater than yourself. The spirit hung there for a moment longer. The blinking gradually diminished until Jefferson could barely see it. He could sense it there, though. Not moving. Then it shot with lightning speed at the body Jefferson had brought. It stopped abruptly above the body, as if it wasn't sure this was the place for it. Enter, Elette, Catherine told the spirit. It is a place for you to live instead of die. As it entered, a faint green glow surrounded the body. It faded in a matter of seconds, and the chest of the dead man rose as the first hitching breath of new life was taken. The eyes flew open, and clawed hands gripped the bedsheets and tore them free. Elette's new body jerked and spasmed with seizure. Helen and Catherine threw their bodies on the bed, trying to hold arms and legs steady. Jefferson, we need your help. He's dying again since there is no blood to feed his body. I want no part of this magic beyond that which I have already played. Please, he is my husband! Helen begged. Damn you, Jefferson, this is your fault. Fine, woman. But this will be the last time you get my help. He thundered back at her and moved to the bed. Yes, that it will be, muttered Catherine. Elette's thrashings grew more intense. He bucked Lahalen from the bed. Her body crashed into the wall. Her head put a crack in the drywall. She began to bleed from the gash on her forehead. The corpse's free hand thrashed around, and the meaty forearm caught Catherine on the chin, toppling her. She landed heavily on his middle, only to be thrown like the gypsy off the back of the bed. Jefferson jumped onto the bed, straddled the flopping body with a knee on each side, and grabbed the jerking shoulders, then shoved them down. He sat down hard on Elette's stomach to force the body motionless. Fingers that were tinged purple around the tips wrapped themselves around Jefferson's wrists in a vice-like grip. There was a momentary spark of light as the two pieces of flesh met, and then the vampire's skin immediately bruised. The two undead men struggled for control, pushing and flopping on the bed, their bodies slamming into each other. Then, Elette's eyes blinked open. They were a pure green with no visible whites. The color seemed to spread out from the eye sockets outward until it covered the corpse's entire head, except for the mouth, which had snapped open. What? Jefferson cried suddenly, painfully jerking back. He tried to yank his hands away, but Alette held him tight. A burst of green light shot from McCaffrey's mouth and hit Jefferson in the face, momentarily blinding him. Finding himself suddenly free of Alette's death grip, the vampire reeled back and fell off the bed. He didn't feel the floor as it came up to meet his body. When his vision cleared, he saw the ceiling, each crack and pit in the old material. There was even a dead spider off to one side. Its innards were out, the body crushed by Catherine's weave. Catherine's face floated into his vision. She peered down at him critically, and he tried to smile to let her know he was okay. But his mouth was frozen in place. He became aware of coarse cloth under his fingertips, of his back and bottom, resting on a plush surface. I think it's over. 
she said and poked at his face. He felt the pressure on his cheek from her finger. It was cold. Do you think we should thank him? He recognized that voice. It was his. But he didn't utter those words. Jefferson tried to sit up, but his muscles wouldn't obey his mind. Lahalen slipped into view as Catherine moved away. The gypsy smiled and dabbed at her bleeding head with a black cloth. The gypsy's face burned red and disappeared from Jefferson's sight to be replaced by his own leering face. He looked up at his own features, now worn by someone else. The way his nose sloped, the cheeks curved, and the distance between his eyes all seemed alien. Yeah, stick a fork in him. I think he's done, Alette said. And Jefferson heard his own voice and knew that this was happening. The mouth he once used to eat and talk chuckled at its own joke. The sound was hollow in Jefferson's new dead ears. His vision began to go black around the edges, slowly retreating inward as McCaffrey's body died, its second death in less than two hours. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. Stay tuned for an interview with the author after these brief credits. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. You can be a part of helping us keep the show coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get wicked fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, bonus stories, and more. The more generous you are, the more wicked the rewards are. The Wicked Library is sponsored by the Legends, Myths, and Whiskey podcast. Brought to you by a team of storytellers and whiskey lovers, they bring culture to life through storytelling every week. You can find them over at legendsmythsandwhiskey.com and, of course, in iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Also sponsored by Zombie Lips. They make the antidote for the human condition, a topical application that cures eczema, poison oak, poison ivy, acne, bee stings, bug bites, cuts, scrapes, scuffs, tears, the endless ailments we wish never happen. Get the cure at zombielips.squarespace.com. All audio recorded in-house at Ninth Story Studios is recorded on Rode microphones, Find out more information about their great products over at Rode.com, which is R-O-D-E dot com. A big thank you to Rode for helping us make the show sound so good. Complete credits and full show notes can be found at thewickedlibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. Don't forget to rate and review the show. And now, an interview with the author. So, uh, Chris... Welcome to yes. the Wicked Library. Oh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm glad that both of us were able to crawl through the under sewers to actually make it here in time uh, for the librarian to say, hey, you're running late, and then leave. Huh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, librarian, for not killing us. Well, you gotta, <laughs> when you're coming to the Wicked Library, you got to crawl through some slime. Yeah, it's an important part of the experience. You can't touch those books until you've gone through hell first, literally. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, where do you hail from? 
Uh, I'm originally from St. Louis, um, but I currently live in uh, north central Ohio, kind of mm-hmm. up in the farmlands, a little college town. Nice. Do you go for lots of walks? I feel like it would be really good walking or biking areas. We, I walk around the, the neighborhood. I do about two, uh, I have like a two mile trek that I do that goes through. We got some interesting architecture, you know, in the town that I live in, you know, with it being a college town and it's the home of Dan Emmett. I don't know. Oh. I'm not going to get get into Dan Emmett cause you know, but he wrote some songs way back, you know, before any of us were probably alive. So, and so we got some interesting architecture and we got this heart of Ohio trail that I think it's like 25 miles or something, oh, which wow. I, yeah, I've never gone on that because that's like if conservative Mount Vernon can have yuppies, that's what they run on, and I don't, I don't fit in there, so I just you know walk the streets. <laughs> that works. <laughs> Avoid the yuppies. Stick to the Correct. streets. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for uh, our listeners who are not familiar with your work, Brian or Chris, wow, I'm just reading C. Brian and then. I saw Brian, Chris, <laughs> winning. Uh, I am winning today. So for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with your work on the Wicked Library, you were on at least two other episodes. It was Dominance, which was 604, and then Chris Massacre in 2015 with Boxing Day. Um, do you know if there were other ones? Those were just the two that I found. No, I think I was on in season one. Oh, one of the yeah, I can't re you know that's been a while now. Yeah, a little uh, bit. <laughs> yeah, back when Nelson was hosting, and so yeah, I've been on here four four times, three or four times. Now. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's always fun. You know, Dan and Nelson are both. You know, they're great guys. They've been <laughs> more than supportive, probably more <laughs> than I ever deserve. So. <laughs> I don't know. You crawled through a lot of sewer today. I think you've earned it. <laughs> Um, so if anyone wants to listen to the initial uh, burp, 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 the initial stories, those are now something that only patrons through Patreon can listen to is the archives, just as a fun fact. Um, but now that we're done with that, I want to talk about your leases expired. Get out. I mean, wait, no, actually, I want to talk to you about the story. <laughs> I can go. You know. <laughs> no, please don't. <laughs> I just got you here. <laughs> Or slime. I like slime. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so where did uh, where did that story start for you? Oh man, it started a long time ago, and it was kind of born out of, believe it or not, role playing. Used to do a lot of mm-hmm. online role playing in AOL of all time. I'm nice. dating myself, you know, <laughs> talking about AOL when AOL was really popular, and used to actually used to have dial up to get on there. And you know, in those role playing rooms, there was really just a giant mix of characters that have absolutely no reason to be together. <laughs> you know, you'd find dragons and vampires and werewolves and demons and all this manner of crap just thrown in together. And that's kind of where it started from was, you know, that interaction. I was like, hey, let's just write a story with, you know, let's put a vampire and a witch together, which nowadays it's not. That's not uncommon to right. find a vampire and a witch. And then you kind of throw in maybe a demon. What is Elet? Is Elet a demon? He might be a demon. Mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of mentioned in there. And then you have a gypsy who is just maybe she's the human, maybe she's not. You know, it's not really right. addressed. But but so you get this whole you get this mix of, you know, four distinct character types, you know, in one room. And that's kind of where it started was, you know, watching this interaction. And it's fun. And when, you know, when you were role playing, it it worked. They made it work. Somehow they made it work. 
you know, and it was entertaining to read and it was entertaining to, you know, be a part of. And so that's kind of where when that story first was hashed in my brain, I wanted to get all these characters together and see what happened. That that sounds like a lot of fun. Like, I, I'm sad that I missed out. I, I, I got into AOL like so close to the end of it. I was like, oh, this is interesting. And oh, everyone's gone. OK, I'll <laughs> <laughs> just leave now. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But that's really cool that it came from the role play stuff that you were doing. Does a lot of your inspiration come from the gaming that you do? Uh, not a whole lot. No. Um, some of it does. I mean, I can't say that none of it does, but not a lot of it. Um, my novel, my first novel necromancer actually came from, you know, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons with my grandmother of all people. (laughs) And, uh, so it was me and my grandma and my brother and some cousins and we would get together over spring breaks and summer vacations and things like that. And we would, you know, just sit down and, and game for like an entire week at a time, sometimes two, if we could pull it off. And so my first novel necromancer was kind of you know, derived from that, that those game sessions and, you know, magic in the real world. Um, so it's modern. It's not fantasy. I don't write a whole lot of fantasy. So, but that definitely influenced Necromancer, you know, moving through and the kind of the action adventure part of that. And, you know, the quest to, to kill the evil Necromancer kind of thing Yeah, was de- definitely came from there. But other than that, not a whole lot. Um, I don't, I haven't actually role played online in I want to say almost 20 years give or take oh maybe, been a while <laughs> yeah maybe 15 you know and the whole and even D&D kind of died out there for a while um so so yeah so some but not all um I get a lot more inspiration just from walking down the street anymore <laughs> <laughs> nice so is that where you're get, like just like exploring the neighborhood is where you're getting a lot of your current stuff from yeah uh, well that and you know going to a mall or just anywhere you know ideas come from from everywhere but you know with the way the world's set up nowadays and the way people treat each other and the things that are going on mm-hmm. you really don't need to go into a fantasy world to find inspiration for bad shit to write about you know that just comes naturally we actually go into the fantasy worlds now to get away from the real world Indeed. like <laughs> like permanently it's like, oh, you know what? I want to be my cleric today because I can actually help people being a cleric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is so terrifyingly true. Good gracious. Um, with your leases expired, so it sounded like you kind of started from the character and grew from there or uh, the characters and grew out from there. Or was there kind of like the plot kind of popped to you or what? what motivated your writing for that one? Oh, it was definitely the character interaction. And, you know, I have with my short stories, I kind of have a I start with kind of a theme in general. And with that one, the characters, it was really it kind of wrote itself because, you know, as you go through it, you know, there's kind of a very maybe it's thin, maybe so thin it's anorexic. I don't know. But, you know, there's like don't hang on to things because, you know, Jefferson's definitely hanging on to Catherine. You know, you kind of get that sense you know, throughout the piece, you know, don't, but you know, you got to learn to let go because if you don't let go, bad things are going to happen, you know, and that certainly, you know, that happens to Jefferson in the end. So when you, with the loose theme and then the characters, it was, you know, it kind of wrote itself that the opening conversation between the two of them was just, you know, Oh, how many times have I had that conversation with an ex, (laughs) you know, 
Yeah. <laughs> it really felt like an old divorced couple just like getting back together for one reason. <laughs> I like how in the beginning you're not quite, you know, you don't know that it's kind of fantasy horror based until you get deeper into the story. And at first you're just like, oh, they just killed somebody and <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're not new to this. Uh oh. <laughs> well, right. And that's, you know, she, um, you know, she obviously she called him. She asked him, can you, can you bring me a body? And he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, sure, he's used to killing people. He's a vampire. That's what he does. Mm -hmm. But, you know, still, you would think that before your ex, you haven't seen her in, you know, what, 60 years, calls you up and says, hey, can you bring me a body? Think about that. Just think about that for a minute before you just, sure, let me get that for you. <laughs> but that it's so true to like certain relationships where when someone calls, they're like, okay, what what do you need? I'll just, I'll do it. It's fine. Right. I miss you. <laughs> Well, right. You just drop everything and you do it. And, you know, which just reinforces that theme of, you know, let things go. You got to be able to let things go and, and move on from them. Because, you know, if you don't, it doesn't always turn out the best. You know, you could literally be killing yourself. <laughs> yeah, literally in this case. <laughs> uh, <laughs> figuratively in other cases. But, yeah. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say I really liked how much history these characters seem to have in the course of listening to the story, I really got a good understanding of them as a bigger scope. Even Elette was like, oh, everything was just like the tip of the iceberg, but you knew there was more to it. I just, I like how you packed all that in there. <laughs> oh, thanks. You know, I try and do that because, you know, for me, characters are a big part of, you know, every story. You know, they're what, you know, for me, it's what I read a book for or a short story is, you know, plot is always secondary to good characters, to fun characters. And, you know, subtext is totally a thing, you know, as it should be, you know. And when you read through it, you know, I want you to pick up on that, those little things. So, yeah, I'm glad that you did. And hopefully, you know, everybody else does too. I hope so, everybody. Did you hear it? <laughs> did you get it? <laughs> what's, what's one character you've written recently that was just really challenging to get a grasp of? I'm... Recently, I've been working on um, a second book in a trilogy. Uh, the first book, you know, I'm going to plug myself, which I very rarely do. Please do. They, are they Are Among Us. It came out uh, in 2015. And I've been working on the second book in that one. And the vampire characters in that one are extremely challenging for me because it's a very fine line between trying to make them human enough but not human enough. So, so having enough humanity to them for them to be empathetic characters, but still be able to be monsters. Right. And have the audience, you know, identify with them because they are very much, you know, an integral part of, you know, everything that happens in those books. So empathetic, that's a good word. You know, I was searching <laughs> for that one in my brain. I couldn't get it, but yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Cause the first book, you know, it's basically, it's divided up into two very distinct parts. You know, you get a human point of view for the first half of the book and then you get a vampire point of view from the second half of the book. And you know, there was a lot of challenges in, you know, making that second half of the book relatable because a lot of people are like, I don't like them. And mm -hmm. I'm like, well, you're not supposed to really like them, but do you identify with them? And they're all like, eh, yeah, sort of. I hope they all die. You know, like, okay, awesome. 
I, I mean, that's a kind of a win. It's just like, well, I kind of hope they all die. Great. <laughs> right. You know, so so those are those are the kind of challenging, you know, because in the longer fiction, you really have to, I mean, you're fleshing them out so much more. You have to give those, you know, a lot more of those details, you know, like unlike with your lease is expired, you can really play with the language and just, you know, you know, fire off those quick shots, you know, where people are like, oh, yeah, they had an interesting relationship when they were together, <laughs> didn't they? Because you kind of get the inside jokes, but you don't get the inside jokes. It's like playing taboo with your spouse. You just do really well because you know each other so well. <laughs> And then everyone watching is like, oh, I, w I wonder what the story is behind that, Jeb. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so do you find yourself writing about vampires often? Uh, not often, but I do tend to enjoy the classic monsters. Um, nice. You know, growing up on the universal, you know, monsters. And, you know, even you made your, your reference to American Werewolf in London earlier. Mm -hmm. I picked up on it because, you know, when I was growing up, that was – you know, that was, those were the monsters, you know, the mummy, you had, you know, werewolves, you had vampires, you know, things like that, you know, all this, this new stuff, Slender Man and your Japanese horror with, you know, Samara coming out of the TV. That was all, I think, past my time of influence, mm -hmm. you know, when I started watching those and, and getting into those. So, so I don't tend to generally write about vampires. I do like them, but I do a lot of creature horror. So, and vampires, creatures, werewolves, creatures, you know, they all kind of run together. So, yeah, I feel like they're part of the same family. Right. So what was one of your favorite creatures to write about? I wrote about a creature called a Griebler that, uh, Ooh. they travel through the sewers. Um, I wrote a story called sewer rats and they travel through the sewers and they, you know, they eat pets, eat dogs and a couple of kids happen to come across them and, it doesn't end well for the children in the sewer. Um, and, but that was based on, you know, because we used to do sewer spelunking when I was a kid. Um, I don't know if you can do that nowadays. I don't know if the sewers are big enough. But we used to be able to travel for miles underground by the sewers. And, you know, you'd find dead animals in there and they look like they'd been eaten. Probably stray dogs or certainly not monsters. <laughs> but, you know, I like to write about monsters that I, I create. So, And the Griebler was definitely a fun one. So, and my next one would be a werewolf, but I have not yet been brave enough to write a werewolf novel. Dominant, <laughs> dominance was about as close as I got. Was Dominance, um, no, duh, that was the one from the Wicked Library. I heard right. that one. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where can we be? Oh, wait, you already talked about that one. Because um, <laughs> I see you post a lot of free fiction on your blog as well. Um, so do you kind of use that for like experimenting or... I, it was the the free stuff is he, there used to be a little thing on Facebook a group that did basically like flash fiction challenges you know here's like some elements that you have you have so many days so many words go and of course you know you were supposed to get your friends to vote on it and it was you know so that and that's what I put out so and I put them up on the website because I was never going to try and sell those to anybody but but yeah so it, they're experimental but it you know, a lot of them kind of give you an idea of, of how I write and, you know, the way I try and weave subtext into it. Sometimes people get it. Sometimes they don't. Well, that's okay. Not everyone's going to get it. <laughs>
So what attracts you to writing about horror? It sounds like you've always kind of had a fascination with the dark things, like exploring sewers, (laughs) for example. (laughs) We've had horror in my family for as long as I can remember. Uh, My mom used to talk all the time when I was younger about living in a haunted house in St. Louis. We call it the Akamak house. It was Akamak street and, you know, all these things that happened, you know, it was her and my dad and, and then her and my aunts and like my dad's like, Oh, nothing ever happened. But you know, he's one of those pretty strict, uh, yeah, if I can't see it, touch it, feel it, I don't believe in it kind of people. Uh, but then my mom was always a big horror buff, probably because of what happened to her when she was younger. And, you know, there were just a couple of incidents when I was younger. Like the, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. There's a movie called just a bunch of S's. It's got Strother Martin and Dirk Benedict in it. And Dirk Benedict's a college kid. Strother Martin's a scientist of some sort. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's basically turning Dirk Benedict into a cobra throughout the entire movie. He's injecting him with this, injecting him with this serum. Now the movie came out in the early seventies before I was born. I probably watched it when I was in kindergarten with my mom. Yeah. There's, well, there's scenes where, you know, Dirk Benedict is basically outgrowing his skin just like a snake does. And you see Strother Martin pulling it off of him. Well, now I'm a ginger. I'm a redhead. I'm very fair skinned. I burn and I peel. And that freaked me out for the longest time. (laughs) I was always thinking I was turning into a snake, you know, when I get a sunburn, you know, so, so I was probably like six or seven when I saw that. And then the original Nightmare on Elm Street, when it came out uh, on home video in probably 1985, I want to say in nineteen five, so that's probably eleven, maybe ten. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that first scene where Freddie kills Tina and he's dragging her across the ceiling. Mm-hmm. My mom woke me up from a dead sleep and pulled <laughs> pulled me onto the couch and said, "You have to watch this with me <laughs> because I can't do demonic possession." And that's what she thought it was at first, you know, because oh. she hadn't seen it. And so I just sat there, kind of wide eyed and terrified. <laughs> Watching that movie at ten years old, and it kind of, and it, and it went from there. Again, you know, staying up late to watch the Universal movies on TV, and mm-hmm. you know, starting, you know, about that time I started to read read Stephen King, you know, Dean Koontz, and all those guys, and it's like, yes, horror, I like it. I I think um, with a mom like that, how could you not end up obsessed with horror? <laughs> well, Thanks, I have mom. some. Neat- well, I have I have nieces, and you know they've been watching horror since they were probably three or four years old with her. So, you know, but they're much more. Oh, Chucky! I want to watch Chucky. Grandma, can we watch Chucky? All right. <laughs> fantastic! I absolutely love that. <laughs> hey, kids! This one's about a doll, a demonic doll. Let's learn how to survive the world. Yay! Right? <laughs> exactly. Better than Girl Scouts. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'd like your mom. (laughs) Most people tend to do tend to like her, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, where do you like to write? Do you crawl back down into the sewers when you get a chance? (laughs) Yes, definitely. I (laughs) all the time. No, I have an office that's down in the down in my basement. Uh, It's got my books and you know, different things down here, but it's where I can actually just go and, and, and be alone. I can lock the door. My kids can't get in here. My wife can't get in here. And then when I put my 
music in my head, I, I can drown them out because if they come to the door and they knock or whatever, I still can't hear them, mm-hmm. which is good. Um, every once in a while, I'll go out to a coffee shop. Um, oh, excuse me. We don't have too many here in Mount Vernon. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, not like I said, it's not a very big town. And the one that we did had, they closed. So we don't have a – our Starbucks is actually inside our grocery store or inside our grocery store. Mm-hmm. So can't go sit there. I guess I could be awkward. <laughs> you know, Just but, sit uh, next have, to the oranges and ask for their opinions. Right. You know, hey, read this. How's that sound? But So what we do have a Panera and I, I go there and I write. But I prefer to write in my office. But with the kids and everything, I have a very limited window of when I can work every day at home. So I can imagine – where do you squish in your writing time? Uh, it's usually in the evening um, after my youngest goes to bed. He's in kindergarten, so he's in bed between 8 and 8.30 every night. Um, so I'll come down here and write from 8.30 till basically I'm ready to pass out or I'll edit or basically whatever I can do in that time because sometimes, I mean, if you're a writer, they don't always come out easy. Sometimes those words are kicking at you. They're biting. They don't want to come out. So when I get that, instead of being – okay, I'm going to continue and waste two hours trying to get out words that don't want to come. I'll pick up something that I'm working on. I'll edit it instead because I can always edit and it still makes it a productive two hours. That makes sense because rather than fight with your own, like, I'm not feeling inspired voice, you can keep chugging away. Editing's a little, I agree, it's a little bit easier once you get the words down to keep messing with them once they're on the page. Right. And, you know, and like I said, it, you don't feel like you're wasting the time because if I sit there and I write for two hours and I get, you know, a page in and I'm like, you know, I'm just going to end up deleting this tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pissed off at myself. I'm like, that was a wasted two hours. I could have done so many other things. Yeah, I can definitely appreciate that. Um, so where can people find more about your work? Uh, I have a website. It's just C. Brian Brown. Uh, dot net and that's b-r-y-a-n uh, for people who don't know um, i'm on facebook it's just facebook.com slash c brian brown twitter c brian brown <laughs> there's a theme there so and i do instagram too occasionally which is c brian brown there as well <laughs> good branding i'm proud well, I, well and i could not get c brian brown.com oh so. Yeah, somebody bought it and they want to sell it back to me for like $2,000. So Lame. Right? I thought so too because I have $2,000 just laying around to yeah. give somebody. <laughs> you know, like we all do. It's just, right. Oh, there it is under my coffee cup. Oh, that's Correct. where I put it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me go dig up that coffee can in my backyard. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I'd need this to buy a website someday. I just knew it. <laughs> right. Oh, it's all in $2 oh. bills. Right. Oh, or pennies. I, w- I could send them pennies. <laughs> you, know? you know, get a roll of packing tape and just put rows of pennies on there. That'd be so worth the shipping. It's like <laughs> just for this, the, the fact that I have to sell you or you're selling me this for $2,000, I'm going to pay it in pennies. <laughs> Correct. Well, thank you so much for yeah. joining us here today and uh, for <laughs> for dealing with all of the internet issues we had before we started talking oh it's perfectly all right thanks for having me it's always a pleasure to be here (laughs) (laughs) and uh to those of you listening i am jeanette andromeda 
Yeah, I didn't introduce myself. Now you know. I'm on HorrorMade.com. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Yay, we're done. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> <laughs>